do this. How about if you have your Bibles, get those out. Bible apps, get those out. I'm going to give you a little heads up. We're going to Luke chapter 14. So if you look in your table of contents, you got an Old Testament, you got a New Testament. I want you to find the New Testament down at the bottom. And Luke would be the third chapter or third book of the Bible. Luke is a doctor. So we, we, get, uh, we get to read through a doctor's eyes as God inspired him to write what we're going to spend most of our time looking at this morning. So if you get to Luke chapter 14, those of you here, those of you who tuned in online, please do that. I want to start by stating the obvious. I'm very good at doing that and, and somehow it still seems profound. Good, that was a joke. Um, you, you've probably heard, as I have heard, um, how Christianity is supposed to work. What, what Christianity is. You've heard it described. You've heard it explained. Uh, you've, you've heard it this way in some churches. You've heard it this way in uh, some books and some podcasts. And it goes something like this. Your life's kind of a mess. And you realize it's a mess. And you need help. And, and someone tells you, rightfully so, turn to Jesus. We just sang about him. Turn to Jesus and he will save you from that situation. And he will give you a better life. And many of us in this room, that, that kind of would describe in general how we came to trust in Christ. How we came to begin to follow Jesus. Now, in what I just said, there's a few things missing. And I, I hope you picked up on a couple of them, if not more than two. I want to talk about two just for a second. The first one, what we, what we don't hear typically right off the bat is that we need to be forgiven for our brokenness and for our sins. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to see that your dream or my dream came to fruition. He came to save us from our brokenness, from our sins, from our, our habits and hangups and addictions. That's what he came to save us for. With, with an amazing future. But it may not just look like what you want your future to look like. But I, I promise you, it is vastly superior. So there's the forgiveness of sin part that typically maybe. Hopefully you've heard it here. We try to talk about it plenty here because we're all broken, all right? But I suspect the second thing and where I want to spend time really over the next three Sundays, I suspect what we didn't hear much of is what Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33 will bring out. This is what's missing in a lot of, of, of churches and a lot of books and a lot of podcasts, etc. And I want to pick it up with verse 25. Jesus is, uh, his popularity is growing because of what he's doing, how he's teaching, um, and, and people are drawn to that. And in verse 25, it says, now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, now I want to stop it just for a moment. All these crowds are coming. And Luke is careful to let us know that the, that the crowds are coming. And all of these crowds prompt Jesus to do something. That's why it says, so he turned. Luke wants us to understand that what prompted Christ, what motivated him to say what he's about to say is the throngs of people that are following him. Okay, just keep that in mind. And then Jesus speaks in verse 26. If anyone comes, after, if anyone wants, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own brother, his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if, it has, if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. 
Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. So Luke wants us to know what Jesus is doing is he's thinning out the crowd. Which if, if you were Jesus at that time, would you have done that? Or would you have not just been soaking in and saying, how much more can I attract? But Jesus understands and wants them to understand that the reason that they're following him, the reason the crowds are there is for reasons they don't fully understand or should understand. They, they're not counting the cost of following him and turning towards him. And so Jesus is thinning out the crowd with these words. As you can imagine, those words are rather challenging. And, and I guess my question for you and for me, Jesus is talking about the cost. He's saying, count the cost. Literally, he says, count the cost if you want to build something. He says, calculate the cost of going to war. So I think the thing we have to ask ourselves is, are you, am I, are you incurring costs? Those of you that are followers of Jesus, are you incurring a cost for that? And I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment because it might sound like I'm kind of like right on the edge of, of, wait a minute, what about grace? And isn't the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't that free? I'll come to that in a minute. But I'm talking about once you become a follower of Jesus, are you incurring the cost? Because what, what at, the, at the least what it will tell you is, is how healthy your relationship with Jesus is. If, how you answer that question. And at most what it will tell you in how you answer that question is in all honesty, possibly do you even have a relationship with Jesus? And, and, and that's what Christ is doing. He wants us, as, as, as he's drawing the crowd, maybe as he's drawing you, he, he wants us to assess, to count, to calculate the cost of what it really means to follow him. And we're going to do that this Sunday and the following two Sundays. And I want us just to stop for a minute. Let's just look at the cost as he expresses it in a general sense. First notice he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, you're thinking, wait a minute, how, how is that working, right? He talks about hating his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. And he goes, and even his own life. Did, did Jesus really intend for us to hate other people and hate ourselves? No, he's really using a, a, a somatic expression. And, and what he's saying is, your love for me, when compared to your love for other people, needs to be so strong that it looks as if you hate them. In other words, your devotion to me and your love for me is so strong, it is so powerful, it is so obvious in your life that the next in line in terms of your loves, it's as if you hate them. That's the, and he says, whoever does not bear his own cross. The, the, the cross was symbolic of suffering and sacrifice. Again, he's, he's wanting them to calculate the cost of what it means to turn to him, what it means to be saved by him, what it means to follow him. And he talks about the importance of, of utter devotion and love like nothing else and for no one else. He talks about suffering and sacrifice. And then in verse 33, he says, and say goodbye to his possessions. He's not saying sell all you have. What he's saying is, 
And it goes back to a little bit of what Stephen was talking about last week. Is that Jesus is saying, I'm enough. If everything were taken from you, and, I, and I, in a sense, metaphorically, in, in your heart, I want you to take everything you own and I want you to put it on the altar to say, if you take it all, you take it all. That is what Christ is inviting people to follow. But that's probably not, if you're like me, <laughs> That's probably not how you came to Christ, how you came to Christ. And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. And my, my friends, I can assure you that when I was sitting in that dorm room and I was feeling just an emptiness, I, I, was, I was in college, um, I, you know, I had aspirations to, to get an engineering degree and, and to go out and make a lot of money and, and be successful in doing that. And, and I was at college, I was, I was away where I could do anything I wanted and, and I did a lot of what I wanted um, I always have to be careful when your mom's in your church. You've got to really be careful how far, how deep you go into that. Um, but I was empty. I was like, is this, is this it? I, I thought college was supposed to be more um, energizing and, 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 and more fun in all honesty. And, and I just had this empty feeling. And so I started looking for ways to fill it. And, and, I, and I saw some of these guys that I really respected. They were upperclassmen and, and they would, they would talk about Jesus. And I was, I was drawn to that. And, and one night I went into their dormitory room and, and they explained to me who he was and, and it, just, it just felt like this is, this is it. And, and I accepted Christ. But they didn't talk at all about the cost. They didn't say, hey Kevin, before you make this decision, count the cost. They, they didn't do that. They said, Jesus is the answer, Kevin, to what you're looking for. And you can keep looking but you will never find and you'll never satisfy that thirst, that eternal thirst that God has given for only and exclusively him. You'll never find it in anything else. And they were right. I found it. My, my thirst was satisfied. But the cost, this idea of giving up and, and willing to give up everything I wanted, which, which were my dreams, never entered my mind. As a matter of fact, it took time because I, I, I needed the Spirit of God working inside of me to reveal to me what really Jesus had come to save me for. He had come to save me from my sins, not so that all my dreams could be met. And, and that, that takes some time. I, I needed to realize that I, that I wasn't a cul-de-sac of all of God's blessings. I was a conduit. God was giving to me so that I could pass on. I could pay it forward. But it took some time for me to spiritually mature in the work of God and the conviction of God's spirit to really begin to get my mind and head around that. And so when Jesus in this amazing invitation that he gives constantly, come follow me, come after me. He always says, and importantly so, count and calculate the cost of doing that. And, and I will say personally that the cost of following Jesus is a penance compared to the freedom that I now experience in Christ. Compared to the, to the absence of guilt and shame and, and having meaning and purpose in life and, and, and having a secure hope for my future. I would never go back and trade it ever. And believe me, I, I tried a lot of things to try to find happiness and security in my identity, etc. But Accepting this cost that Jesus is saying, hey, calculate. Accepting it takes a complete reorientation of your mind. Because the world we live in, it's kind of like a fish in water. We're surrounded and, and immersed with the worldly way of living. Of finding your, your peace and happiness in your circumstances and in your possessions and, and status and, and, and the acceptance of others and, and fame and fortune and all of that. So this is a complete reorientation where, where ultimately 
It's not about accumulating possessions and wealth. It's not about status and fame and power. It's, it's not about uh, all the fun experiences that you can just string together. It's, it's not about that. Now, notice I use the word ultimately. Because wealth is not a bad thing. Fame is not a bad thing. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, when it becomes what you drive yourself towards more than anything else, what you're more passionate about than anything else, then it becomes a God thing. And there is only one God and it is not wealth and possession, success, fun and experiences. And so we have to realize that this is a total reorientation. And I'm asking you right now, just think about your relationship with Christ. Have you had, those of you that are Christ followers and those of you that are not, I want you to understand what following Jesus really is about. So just listen please and understand because what you've seen with those that seek to follow Christ for what they can get out of it, I I believe has probably impacted you and and you might look at it and kind of go, why would I want to do that? They're no different than I am. And that's, that's true. But to those who understand and have calculated the cost and willingly accept it and embrace it, that's a whole new reorientation. It, it's the, the reorientation is where you ultimately, you do what Jesus did. And that is, he denied himself all the way to being crucified on a cross. So that the, the sins of the world could be upon him. And God's judgment, rightfully so, could be dr- drawn and he would absorb it in himself. And he would satisfy God's judgment. And when we put our faith and trust in his work and not our own, my friends, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You're a new person in Christ. You have a new hope and a new desire and an understanding of what this cost is. And when you look at it, and when you're truly born again, you look at the cost that we just read. And, and the, the cost was high in a sense. We, we would look at it and say, wait a minute, I'm supposed to love Jesus such that all others that I love, moms, you love in your kids. Husbands, you love in your wives. Wh- whatever it might be, looks as if I hate them and that, I'm, I, I, and that I'm to love Jesus so much it looks as if I hate myself and, and I'm, willing, I'm willing to give up everything I own and what I, all my dreams and my possessions. Man, I hear cost in that. You do. But to someone who's really born again, my friends, you look and you go, it's not even close. It's not even close. And so the general cost that I want to talk about, and then we're going to drill it down specifically, the general cost to follow Jesus that he's saying I want you to calculate it comes down to denying ourselves and that is not easy to deny self it means in all of our interactions with people do we deny ourselves do we go into those interactions and do we think to ourselves how can I leave this person better than when I met them what can I say how can I how can I act What can I do so that in that interaction, I'm thinking about them. I'm not thinking about me. I'm not thinking about what what I want them to think of me. I'm not thinking about what I can get from them. I'm thinking, how can I leave them better than before I met them? Because I'm denying myself. It's denying ourselves with God's possessions. When God blesses us and and we have needs, right? We, we we, We need shelter and we need food and we need clothing. But after that, Do do we deny ourselves and think, how can I use what I have over and above my needs? How can I use that for those who don't even have what they need? This is what it means to deny self. How can you set your ambitions and your goals 
in such a way that you see them for the glory of God and for the good of other people. I mean, this is what it means to deny self. And this is what we have to regularly and routinely go through. Because it hasn't changed from when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was calling people to follow him. He said, he stopped them. He saw the throngs of crowd. And Luke says, so he turned. He says, I got to thin some people out here. And it doesn't stop today. Today he continues to thin people out. As we read words like this, what, what some of you in this room, and I've seen some people through the, the 23 years of pastoring this church, I have seen some people walk away from their faith because the cost was just too high. And that is very, very, very painful. Jesus has a, a very famous parable that even if you're not a follower of, of Christ, you've probably heard this. It's, it's the parable of the soils. And, and Jesus, he's talking to farmers, right? They understand agrarian metaphors and examples. And, and he talks about a farmer who's throwing seed out. And he says, that seed's going to land on one of four possibilities. Some of it's going to fall on the, the hard pathway. And, and for those of you that have sprinkled grass seed out in your field you saw some of it just kind of fall on maybe the sidewalk and you, you weren't worried about that because you're not trying to grow grass on the sidewalk right and so he's talking about the, the seed that falls out onto the sidewalk or to the to the pathway he, he's talking about the seed being his message and his gospel his good news about who he is and what he's done to save us from our sins he says it's going to hit some people and bounce right off them they're just going to look at it like it's foolishness I have no interest in that I don't need that. I don't want that. Then he said there's going to be another soil type. He says it's going to be really shallow soil. And, and you, again, we, maybe if you've grown anything, you've seen that where a seed drops in there. And then it just sprouts out really fast. And, and you've seen that. I've seen that in the church. Someone who, who, who accepts what Christ has done for them. And they, they're just like super excited and they're on fire. And then you look for them six months later. They're gone. They're back to doing what they were doing. And Jesus said, the soil, the seed that falls into shallow soil, he says it sprouts up quickly, but then it's burned away and withers away because of the elements. And then he talks about seed that falls into the thistles, the stickers, the weeds, if you will. He says what happens is it starts to grow, but then it gets choked out. And he likens that to someone who accepts what Christ has done, but then... They go back into the world and, 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 and the attractions of the world and the things of the world and the possessions and the, the, the wealth and the fame draw them and, and, and their faith gets choked out. Notice the first three. Jesus says, well, one, clearly they say, I don't want it, but the other two look like they do, but in reality, there's nothing really truly that's happened inside of them that sustains. And then he gets to the fourth one and the fourth one is the fact that it falls onto fertile soil and, and, and they're the ones that truly are born again. And so my, my point in sharing that with you is that for some, the cost is too high. And, and, and there maybe are some of you in here that, that I'm asking you, are you incurring the cost? Because if you're not incurring the cost and if you have no desire to incur the cost, you really have to look and say, wait a minute, is, is the seed that I thought that was planted in really a fertile heart, is it really there? Just have to ask yourself that. Now, let me talk about cost because I realize I'm, getting, I'm walking a fine line here. We're thinking, wait a minute, isn't salvation free? Isn't our, our forgiveness of sins free? Yes, it is. I'm talking about cost after salvation. Salvation is free. There's no doubt about it. Jesus came and, and this is God's gift to us. He came to live the life you couldn't to die the death you wouldn't so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven when we put our faith and trust in his work. And then Jesus raised him three days later and he said, this is the guy. 
And that is all free. That costs you nothing. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. You cannot merit it. But afterwards, as Paul says, when you work out your salvation, not work for it, but work it out. And that means now that you have been born again, now that you're a follower of Jesus, now go and follow him. And that will be hard. And that's the cost to calculate because there will be a cost associated with it. And for that, I'm going to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 and 14. He says, for you were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he is quoting Christ. When God said, when Christ said, love God first and second, love your neighbor. And, and he puts that little qualifier as yourself. Because he knew we love, he knows that we love ourselves. And the challenge is to love, and who's our neighbor? Our neighbor is anybody. And our challenge is to love them like we love ourselves. To look after them like we would look after our own. And then in Philippians chapter 2 verse 4. He says, Paul says, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So the specific cost I want to talk about today and what I, what I want us to think about today is this idea of serving. It is serving other people. It's serving people in the church, which is what Paul makes reference to when he says that we have been, that don't use freedom for our own fleshly selves, but to serve one another. He says the one another means in the church. But then he also quotes Jesus that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Who's our neighbor? It is everybody. It's the, it's the person that every person you encounter and so we're being challenged to calculate the cost of serving, denying ourselves, and serving other people both in the church and outside the church. But that is to be something that we are to calculate if we're going to follow him. And we're not talking about a one-off. We're not talking about every once in a while. What we're being called to do is to serve one another in a regular way. Just, just like imagine those of you in your house and you, mom and dad, have an allowance system. Or maybe you don't have an allowance system, but maybe you've got this. There are chores for the kids to do. And you, hopefully you've explained to them that the chores are because we're a family. And we're serving one another. We're helping one another. And here's your chore. And, and maybe it's a weekly chore. This is what you're doing. Maybe it's up on the refrigerator and you know, you, you, the kids can mark it off. And maybe they get an allowance at the end of the week. And if they don't, they don't get an allowance. So, so you're, you know, they're, they're making that connection. Or, or maybe you're just saying, oh, there's no allowance here. This is just because we're family. And imagine your kid coming to you. I'm only going to do it once a week, Dad. Come back on that. What, 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 once a week? I mean, you, you, you would look at it with, What? No, we're a family. We're doing this for one another. We're counting on you here, just like you're counting on me here. Well, that's, the church is a family. And, and we have been called out to be on this mission to follow Jesus by denying ourselves. And an expression of that is we serve one another. Now, 
having pastored this church for 23 years, I realize that that doesn't happen in everyone's situation. And I, and I, I want to speak carefully on this. Let me first address momentarily, there's a cost to serving people. Let's just, I mean, there is. Otherwise, everyone would be serving. But there's a cost to it. And the first cost is time. So what, what you're going to be asked to consider, and what, what I'm, what we're asking all the time is in, in the way of serving is you have to think about your priorities. To, to serve other people regularly means you have to reprioritize what you do. I have to reprioritize what I do. Believe me, there are things I would like to do that I don't and I choose not to do them because then I don't have the time to serve people. And sometimes that's easier than other times, just humanly speaking. But what does it cost to serve? It costs us our time. It also costs our energy. I mean, we have several accounts of Paul sounding exhausted because he's serving people. And there are seasons where you get exhausted. It requires energy to do that. This can't just be, well, if I feel like I got some energy, I'll do it. No, this is where you're counted on and I'm counted on. There's emotion. When you're serving, I mean, we're asking that you not just like some robot with, without any uh, care for people, that you, you, you just kind of go and help them, but you don't even get, I'm sorry, if, if you're a follower of Christ, you love people. And, and when you're going to see some, some difficult situations over the years. I've seen some that, I mean, I'm... When I used to work as CPA work, people have asked me this before. Is it, was, has it been harder as a, as a pastor or harder as a CPA? I, I, I say easily. It's been harder as a pastor. Because I didn't go home at the end of the day, turn off the light in my office, go home and think about accounting. It never crossed my mind. But it's hard not to go home and think about a family that's imploding. It's hard to go home and not think about someone who is helplessly being thrown around by the, an addiction. It's, it's hard to go home and not think about the fact that a family's now going home and, and, and someone they love dearly is not there anymore. I mean, that, that's hard. And, and some of you, you look at it, you go, that's why I don't want to get too close. But my friends, that is a cost of serving financially. It's helping other people with their financial needs. There's opportunity costs. Right? There's, there's other things you can't do or you can't buy because you've committed that to serving. Those are just, those are just the realities of serving. It's going to cost you something. You will not find something. It's not worth doing that you can serve and go, hey, I don't feel tired at all. Hadn't cost me a dime. I don't feel really any burden. As a matter of fact, I don't think I gave up anything. My friends, that's not serving. That's not the way of Jesus. It might be the way you want it, but it's not the way of Jesus. And so, because of those costs, we, we, we can kind of be held back. Let me give you a few more obstacles. And I realize I'm, I'm running for most popular pastor of the year award. That's why I'm sharing this stuff with you. I'm just giving to you what God's given to me. And I'm wrestling with this like you are. But what, what holds us back from serving? Let me just say this, and this is so important you hear this. There are seasons not to be serving. Please hear that. Maybe it's burnout. Maybe you, and I've heard this before, I, I, my last church, man, they, they never stopped asking me. And, and I hope and pray we're not like that. And I'm sure there's been times where we have, and I apologize profusely like that, but we really try not to be like that. Maybe you're just burned out. And you're just like, I, I need to kind of sit on the bench for a little bit, coach, okay? Got it. 
got that, all right? Let me just, by way of mentioning that, there are some of you, and you know who you are, you're serving too much. You're not giving time to breathe in other areas. Please understand that you've got to find balance in your life. Jesus talked about Mary and Martha, right? And, and Mary was the one running around. She was, or Martha, excuse me, was the one running around trying to make sure because Jesus was there. Everything had to be right and she was getting all upset. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and they're sisters. And you can imagine what Martha's thinking. And she even says to Jesus, hey, get my sister up. Get her off her haunches. I need some help. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Mary's doing the right thing. Right? Some of you just need to hear that. To the Marthas in the room, you need to hear that. Okay, so there is a time, a season where rest is important. Maybe you're focusing on something in your family. You're focused on something in your life right now that just needs full attention. I get that. God understands that, okay? But apart from that, what are the obstacles that get in the way? Well, maybe you're like me in that you spiritually are just immature and you haven't come to that point yet where the Spirit of God really convicted you. And you realize, wait a minute. I'm on a mission this isn't about me. I'm not a cul-de-sac. I can just hoard all these wonderful gifts. I, I'm actually a conduit that I'm supposed to be sharing these things. Maybe today is the message that wakes you up to that. I, I remember when I was thinking I was good, but, and it was just all about my private life that I was working on. And then I just heard this message from, from the pastor who was teaching from God's word about, hey, you're not a cul-de-sac, big boy. Maybe you need to hear that. Let me say this with the most respect in the world that I can. Some of you are not serving because you're selfish. And, and, and you want all the time and energy and emotion for you. Others of you are not serving because you're lazy. And here's what I understand about lazy people, because I have been lazy in areas of my life. You want to do it, but you just don't do it. I mean, inside your heart, you're like, if we looked in your heart, you're like, yeah, 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 I want to do it, I want to do it. But you just never get around to it, to do it. I... Back in Texas, went to a restaurant, walked in, they had this big old barrel, and they had these wooden chips, and on the wooden chips, they had two words, and they were round wooden chips, to it. And I picked it up, I go, you know, the host, I go, what are these things? She goes, that's for people who never get around to it. So you hold on to it, and the, you know, the idea was, take this with you when you're thinking of these things you want to do, but you just never get around to it, cash your chip in. Okay, and that's where some of you are, you're just lazy. Another obstacle is, is we have a spiritual enemy who does not want us to serve and, and, and God to work through us in the lives of other people. And he'll give you a million excuses to not serve. And the only way I know to fight that is with the word of God. To go back and take the word of God and, and let, it, let the spirit of God, as you read the word of God, convict you and empower you and then lastly, the obstacle is possibly that you're not a follower of Jesus, but you think you are. You're, you're in one of those two soul types that I mentioned earlier. But, but you're really just trying to be religious. You're, you're trying to, you're thinking serving gets me closer to God or serving gets me the, 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 the provision of God and the forgiveness of God that I can earn and merit that. But no, that's just religion. The, 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 we're to serve out of relationship, out of understanding what God has done for us and what Jesus has done for us. Serving is something that you actually 
will begin to desire. And, and when you step out by faith to obey Christ, as you do that more and more, the Spirit of God is working in you to give you a desire to want to do that. Now let me close with the good news. Okay, because I know you're like, why did we come today? It's the new year, right? We, we all need, kind of like, we just need a, new, a, a mind and heart alignment, right? We can get so far away from what it really is about and counting the cost. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 and 12. This is Jesus. He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Think about that for a minute. Jesus is saying that greatness is found in those who serve other people. That's what he's saying. He's saying greatness. Something that we all have hardwired in us and we go out into the world seeking because we've been created in the image of God and inside of us there is a, an insatiable desire to see our greatness and what it looks like and, and, and to express it. We might choose education, we might choose athletics, we might choose a, a vocation of some kind, we might choose art, whatever it might be. We, or we might think in parenting, I'm going to be the greatest parent ever and we want, we want our, our greatness to come out that way. And in many cases God has given us those gifts but Jesus doesn't say that's where you'll find greatness. Certainly that's not where Jesus says, I see in you greatness. No, he sees it when we express it in the form of serving other people. You see, our world's understanding of greatness is twisted. And Jesus, think about it, this is Jesus and what he's done. So that when you're serving other people with the right heart, with a humble heart, not for what you can get of it, but when you're serving other people, you're great in the eyes of Christ. I'm great in the eyes of Christ. And that is who you are. You've been hardwired for that. This is how those of you that are looking for your meaning and purpose in life, what is it? And it's like this hunger that you just can't fill as you try these different things. My friends, when you begin to serve other people in humility because of how you've already been served by Christ, you will find the thirst that you have to know why you're here and what life is all about. You will find it satisfied. It's not my promise. That is the promise of God's word. So let me finish so that we can get to some opportunities for you to think about how you might be able to engage and apply what we've talked about this morning in service. Um, we have our, our aim. Aim is to activate our faith, impact our world, and multiply disciples. It is kind of our vision. It's what we try to make sure we're doing. And there are, there are eight statements that go with aim. I want to read to you two of them. Statement number one says, we will provide, or excuse me, we will be people who reject the pursuit of comfortable, complacent Christianity and embrace the risk of following Jesus through a life of sacrifice and service. And statement number six says, we will be known in our community and beyond as people of generosity and justice who partner with other churches and organizations to bring hope, healing, and help to the hurting and broken. And that is what I want us to consider the rest of the time that we're here. We're going to have some different organizations uh, and, and we've got um, three of them. Stephanie's going to be sharing for one who came down sick, which is unfortunate, but there's a, there's a, a video that will be able to uh, give you an idea of what they're all about. But my challenge for us is for all of us to engage 
and we're, when we're talking about serving outside the church at this point, to engage in our community with a local ministry opportunity that we're going to share with you. So you've got everyone, if you'll just get this and kind of hang on to that, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to turn it over to Stephanie and we're going to listen to some opportunities that we have in our backyard. So if you've got that form, let me pray and then I will turn it over to Stephanie. Father, I pray your blessing as we contemplate how we can be of service to the people in our church. And, but Lord, more importantly, or, or at least with a focus today on those outside of our church, the least, the last, the lost, Lord God, how can we serve them in a way that brings glory and honor to you and help to them? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.